Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And we are once again in Orvieto. And uh, Tiffany, take it away. Well, you probably remember last week we had a really great interview with uh, three young girls living in Orvieto, Julia, Paloma, and Viola. Today we're interviewing their parents, who are Americans who have been living in Italy for many, many years. Yes. Yeah, so hello. Can you introduce yourselves? I'm Linda Martinez. I'm Steve. Should I say my last name too? Like? <laughs> <laughs> it's Brenner. <laughs> and how long have you been living in Italy? Fifteen years. And did you know each other before you ended up here? Oh, yeah, we go way back. Can you uh, let us know? <laughs> Tell us a story. Um, oh, it's too long. <laughs> the story is <laughs> it's a bit long, tumultuous story. Uh, I've known her since I was 16. We were married when I was, what, 24 or something like that. So, <clears throat> yeah, no, we've, we've known each other a long time. Do you have anything to add? <laughs> no. <laughs> what made you guys decide to move to Italy? And did you have any children yet? Actually, before we ask that question, keep that one in mind. Where were you from? originally uh, I was born in Connecticut and I grew up mostly in Colorado uh, which is where we met um, Linda's was born in Germany from a family who was military but from many generations from Puerto Rico uh, she grew up in Panama and Puerto Rico and then ended up in Colorado and then at some point I'd gone to Washington DC she went to Los Angeles I ended up in Rome and then left Rome and went to Los Angeles and then we were together for a few years there and then got married, and then came to Rome. Many of those years in which you were living in different places, it was after you had met. Yeah, it was. We had we had been together for a bit, and then we were apart, and okay. we we were together and apart quite quite a lot, quite often. <laughs> That's the tumultuous part, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So you're back to your other question. Yeah, when where did the idea to go to Italy come from? Steve had lived in Italy for a while, one of the apart periods, and I went to visit him in Rome at one point and liked it. When he came to Los Angeles to when we got back together, it, we decided we came to Rome as part of our honeymoon. And while we were in Rome, we decided we'd never felt perfectly comfortable in Los Angeles. We never felt at home in Los Angeles. We never really felt particularly at home living in the United States. And we knew a more international life was something that we wanted in our future. And then we also didn't want to work for other people, and we and we were one of these rare couples that wanted to actually be together all the time and work <laughs> together all the time. We were discussing a lot of different ways that we could be together all the time and not in the United States. And there were a few ideas on the table, and one of them was, was let's come to Rome and let's open up this place, and, and that's what we ended up doing. What other places were in the running? Well, there was teaching English somewhere in Asia. Speaking there was cooking school, school uh, because he's a great cook uh, and we thought he could go to the CIA in Poughkeepsie in upstate New York and I would work in the city that was an idea I mean there were lots of different there ideas was a, there was a different one every week how did you decide how did it end up coming down to Rome it was a name once she thought of the name of our place that was when it became totally real and what is your place uh, it's called the Beehive. It's officially a one-star hotel, but it started out as a hostel. So now it, it's a bit of a hybrid between a hotel and a hostel. Small, eco-friendly place that we've created, and we just celebrated our 15th anniversary on the 11th of May. A lot of people think we live there, actually, but we don't because it has that kind of feeling to it. 
the people that have all worked for us have worked for us for a long time. They're, everybody's part of the Beehive family because we're still, I'm happy to say, still in contact with a lot of people who used to work for us and they still come by and hang out and they always have a place there. So it's, it's really nice. It's a place that we are really have happy to that, that we created it and that it's still existing, thankfully. So it was the name because you thought, if we're going to go to Rome, we're going to open a hostel. Yeah, I, I, now that I'm hearing us say this, I realize we haven't really told this, <laughs> haven't really explained this very, really well. When I lived here, one of the things that I did was work in a hotel. I did a, a variety of odd jobs, and one of them was that I worked in a hotel and saw how badly they were doing it. And then when I moved to Los Angeles, having traveled around a bit, I started working as a travel agent for a company called STA, which was a student travel network. And so I was still working in, in travel, and I was sending a lot of people to Europe, and I was seeing that... Um, this was kind of right before the internet really became a useful tool for budget independent travelers to find places to stay. So I was sending a lot of people college age to Europe and when they would ask where they should stay, I had no recommendation. I just said, you have to get a guidebook and that was really the only thing that they could do. So a lot of these things from a few different directions were pointing to the possibility of us doing this here. One that I'd had this experience and seen how bad the competition was and the other that I was also sending people from the United States and seeing from their point of view what was lacking when they got here and how difficult it was for them to make arrangements in advance to book a place. So it wasn't that we just pulled it out of the, I mean, it was fairly out of the blue. I think when we told people that we were going to do it, they didn't really believe us. It seemed a little bit preposterous, but it, but it actually makes a, a bit of sense. Yeah. I, I think one of the questions that always comes up when people think about trying to live in another country is, how do you make it work? If you're an American and you want to move overseas and you want to start a business, well, how do you ever get to the point where you have the permission and resources to oh, do yeah, that? Well, we, were t we were totally naive about all of that. So <laughs> I want you to kind of take us through a little bit how you actually oh. accomplished <laughs> owning a business. Not the boring stuff, oh, I rented this office and this one, I got this boring. stamp and I got that paperwork. But how do you make that work when you're not a citizen of a country to go there right. and... I don't think what worked for us would work anymore, but we knew that you know a basic tenement to the law is that you can't change your visa status once you're here. And this is something that a lot of people still mess up is that they come here and then they think, I'll figure it out when you get here. And that just doesn't work. You, you have to come here legally under some premise and then afterwards you can sometimes change it from one motive to another. And, and we knew that this was the case, or we were at least confident that this would be the case. So we, we applied to a school and we, to a university that had a program that was long enough that it would require us to be residents. And we paid a deposit and, and we wrote a what an essay or whatever it is we had to do to get into college <laughs> to get into the university program and they and then we never went and we we used that and we got a, a student visa and it was long enough to necessitate being residents and as residents we were able to open a business and then uh, after we opened up a business then we were able to change our motive of stay from student to autonomous work that i don't think exists anymore the way it does now we've tried to um legalize other staff members that were in a similar situation and it took years don't anybody follow <laughs> what I've what I've just said we did, but we knew that it was going to be part of the business plan actually would be getting legalized. And then Italy being Italy, nothing went the way it was supposed to, and it was all a lot harder than it was supposed to be. But Italy being Italy, you just keep, somebody tells you no, and you just then say, okay, now what do I have to do? And you just keep following that, that paper trail until it works, and you know, eventually it does. What was your level of Italian when you moved here? It was zero. <laughs> so you come to open a hotel and you think, what, I'll be catering to English speakers? Yes, I mean, we knew that the majority of our clients would be English speaking. And they, I mean, they still are, whether they're native English speakers or not, they still speak 
the lingua franca at, at our place is, is English. But I spoke Spanish because that was my first language, and I still spoke some Spanish at that time. And now it's all been replaced with Italian, but at the time I still spoke Spanish. I took some classes <laughs> when I first got here, and that was about it. Most of the time it was just jumping in and, and speaking. So you're here on a student visa. You're going to try to start a business while you're here, but you're not technically here for that reason. So how did you find the place to open the business? Was that okay, so an the, issue? So the, the way it worked was, was like this. I had a one-way ticket, and I had a month to find a place to live and a place for our business, apart from the fact that we had no money. So we, we didn't really have any savings. So, so I had to find a place in a month. And then halfway through that, Linda put all of our stuff on a boat that was sent to Italy without an address. And it was going to take a few months. And then she was going to show up at the end of the month with an, on another one-way ticket and our two cats. And I think I brought an inflatable bed because we knew that we would, at that point, hopefully be in an apartment and have no furniture and nowhere to sleep. So that was about as much as we had planned. I get to Rome and I get the newspaper and I get a pad of paper and, and a pen and I go jogging every morning at like 6 a.m. and I go through all the streets and I write down all the phone numbers of all the places that are for rent. I keep a really diligent list and notes about who's answered what, who hasn't answered the phone, who I have to call back. A couple times I find places that I think would work and I have no experience dealing with Italians wanting to rent out their place and I don't understand that it's not just that I choose which one I want, but then they have to decide whether whether they want to rent it to me and I didn't know that that was going to be part of the mm-hmm. part of the process. So <clears throat> a couple times I'd found some places and then they they declined uh, renting it to us. And so it was a really quick learning curve. I would call people up on the phone and I would say in my really bad Italian at the time that I was an American and that I wanted to open up this place and then they would just hang up hang up the phone on me and then I had to tailor that to be hi I'm an American I'm looking for a place and then maybe later on try and get that idea peppered in there somewhere about that we would need the authorization to rent out some rooms and then in the end we said that we were here that we were students and that we had a lot of people coming to visit and that we wanted to be able to rent out a spare room as a bed and breakfast. And uh, and so we had to kind of fandangle it, you know, like the, the Italian way. And that was the first place we opened was like that. And then within a year or so, we it was going really well. We were getting exposure and people wanted to stay there. And then we raised money and we moved somewhere else that we actually bought with somebody else. So then we didn't have that problem anymore. And that's where you are still today. Yeah, so that sounds very adventurous, but it also sounds crazy to a lot of people listening that you would say, oh, I'll bring a, a couple cats and a blow up air mattress over and I'll find it. I'll make it work. What, it, what? it actually sounds crazy to me as someone who's actually, you know, been who's an done this. Yeah, you know, I haven't done that, but I've, I have come over here. But the thought of trying to deal with bureaucracy and not speaking Italian, I mean, even just for simple things is terrifying, but something for so complicated, like starting a business, I can't even imagine so what makes you the kind of people that could do something like that? Oh, I don't know. Just channel your inner self. What what is it about <laughs> you? <laughs> I don't kind of this naive blind faith and trust that that's what's going to happen and that we have no other options because we don't. At that time we didn't have any backup plan. There was no cushion waiting for us back in California if things didn't work out. So we had no choice. We had to we had to make it work. And if that didn't work, we probably would have thought of something else. But I mean, thankfully, it did work 15 years later. It's been great. But at that time, yes, it was very precarious. 
Yeah, and brave. Did you feel no fear about it going in? No, no, no fear. Maybe a little, obviously, nervous about certain things happening or not happening. But no fear, no, no fear. Do you have anything you want to add? I think when people are, when you're comfortable, then it's really hard to make dramatic changes like that because there's a big opportunity cost. You know, you might give up something and then not be able to go back. When things aren't really all that stellar, I mean, who cares? You know, just go for it. It doesn't, and there wasn't really, our lives were fine, but the trajectory that we were on was, I mean, you know, we were married and you spend an hour in traffic and then you spend eight hours a day plugging away for somebody else and then another hour in traffic, you make dinner, you clean up, you go to bed. I mean, that was our lives, like so many other people's. And we knew that we weren't satisfied with that. And so we were totally willing to take a big chance if it meant breaking free of that. So many other people, maybe not our generation, it's not so typical, but you look at the typical immigration story is that you give up everything, you leave things behind, and you go somewhere that's unfamiliar and you don't speak the language and you build something from nothing. I mean, how many people kind of look at the American, they look at us coming here, and I don't think they realize that it's the same story as the Chinese immigrant that went to the United States and opened up a laundromat. You know, it's no different. We just, tourism and English was what we knew. For us, it seems normal that we would work in tourism like so many, but I don't think it's really anything more than any other immigrant story. I totally get where you're going with that, but I do feel like maybe opening a business in the United States is a little bit easier <laughs> than opening a business in Italy, just for the bureaucracy. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. It depends on residential status and money and resources and yeah. English and all those same things. I mean, if anything, I think America's money. less tolerant of people who don't speak the language very well. Money, for sure. We couldn't have done this in the United States. There's no way we would have had to have had so much more money. I mean, we had none. But here you can open up something and then later on you figure out how to make it, it work and how to make it legal. And in the U.S., that wouldn't have flown at all. That wouldn't have worked at all. Well, as far as an immigrant story goes, does that mean that you consider yourself immigrants? You're here and you're here to stay? This is uh, your new immigration country? We definitely have itchy travel feet and we like to travel. We like to live in a place, uh, settle down and live somewhere for a good amount of time whether that be a month, two months, a year, two years. So while I definitely consider Italy home now, I'm very happy here, I like it here, and it definitely has its frustrations and everything, but to me this is home. I also can appreciate living in other countries and the idea of living in other countries and doing just that and having Italy be home when we want to come home. But not returning to the United States? No, that's absolutely not happening, no. You? No. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, I want to talk about your second foreign home, which is Bali. Second in order. Obviously, you don't still keep a home in Bali, but uh, you moved to Bali for a couple of years. I think as hard as it is for you know people to think, okay, let's just pick up and move to Italy. You know, we're young married couple. We don't have kids. That's hard enough as it is. But you had three children when you decided to move to Bali. How did that come about? I mean, obviously you had the experience as expats already to know you could do it, but what gave you the blind confidence to be like, yeah, we can take our three kids to Bali. Sure. Why not? Well, I felt comfortable about it because of the fact that we believe very strongly our motivation for wanting to go there, which was this school called Green School uh, that we wanted our daughters to attend. So for us, it was a done deal the second I saw the school. I'd never had any 
desire really to move to Bali or to even visit Bali for that matter. But when we saw the school, it was something that we knew we wanted our daughters to experience and for us to have the whole experience together. What was the school? What was so cool about it? It's an eco school in the middle of the jungle in Bali and wonderful people that created it, teachers there and the administrators there, the other parents there that we met that we're still very good friends with, all just amazing people. It was just such an amazing experience on so many different levels, and we actually quite miss that. But to live there again, it's difficult because our lives are so much entrenched here and with what things that we do here. So for us to go away and live there for a couple of years was, was easy. To live there for a much longer period of time would be difficult considering our lives are very much here in Italy. I want to talk about the kids a little bit. We would like to hear what things you two were talking about when you were talking about starting a family and not having them grow up in the United States or, or how you wanted to raise them in a culture that wasn't where you grew up or where you grew up. You both grew up in different places, but the idea of raising American kids in a foreign country to a certain degree. They have American status, but they're not living there. They're not going to be living there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe by now you get that we just kind of wing it a lot. <laughs> and <laughs> kids were, were no different. So you just knew that you, uh, wanted to, you wanted to have kids and you'd figure it out. Yeah, I mean, we knew we wanted to have kids. I always knew that I didn't want them to grow up in the United States for a variety of reasons. But I never considered having kids when we lived in Los Angeles we would have had this lifestyle with them that wasn't what I wanted in having kids. Having our kids here with all the different things we've created as far as our own business and having flexibility with our time that we wouldn't have been able to have in Los Angeles, having our old jobs. For me, it was a no-brainer. I'm not having kids in the United States. I'm having kids when we are settled somewhere else. So that's what we did. And I knew that once we moved to Italy, I mean, we opened up the Beehive in May of 1999, and Julia was born in August of 2000. So you see, I knew straight away as soon as we moved to Italy, okay, it's time to have kids. So that's what happened. What were you thinking about when you thought that I don't want to raise my kids in the U.S.? What was it that you were hoping to avoid? Oh, I don't know. Just the lifestyle there that I was seeing. You have to imagine, we were just moving out of LA when the whole reality television show phenomena started survivor I think it was something like that I don't know I just I started seeing things change in a direction that I wasn't really happy about or comfortable with and I'm not anti-US or anti-American I'm not one of these Americans that goes oh you know I I hate everything about the United States that's not the case at all it's not the place for me I, I don't have this patriotism that I also find very strange, uh, now not living in the United States, that I see a lot of Americans exhibit. I'm not a patriot, but I'm not anti-American either. I'm American. I'm fine to be American. I'm also fine to not be American. For me, it was just the, the place that I wanted my kids to be was in a different part of the world, a place that embraced a lot of old traditions, that had more of a history, that had different cultures, that was more international. For me, I didn't feel comfortable being in a part of the world that, that doesn't look beyond its borders in a way. Uh, so, for example, in Los Angeles, I recall the evening news had 30-second world report, 30 seconds devoted to the world news. That wasn't what I wanted for myself, much less for my kids. 
And I think things have been very open for our kids to be able to see lots of different parts of the world and experience lots of different cultures and people and languages and religions and all kinds of things that where we were living, they wouldn't have been able to experience. Do you have anything you want to add? Yeah, so I don't think at the time in Los Angeles, and I'm, I'm also younger than Linda, so I don't think at the time that we were living in Los Angeles that I would have been ready to have kids or were ever considering having kids. It's not like I debated having kids in the U.S. versus having kids in Italy. It was more that the first decision was living in the U.S. or not living in the U.S., and then after that, then the discussion of kids came up. But the other thing is that in the United States, I think it wouldn't have been a possibility economically and the expense. I don't know if we had health insurance. Maybe you had health insurance. But I, but I don't think I had any any thoughts at the time of, I don't want to raise my kids here. I think it was that it didn't seem possible for us to really start a family there at the time. And I'm sure maybe I, I romanticized the idea along with romanticizing the idea of us moving to Italy and opening up a business and then eventually having kids that probably all fell into a really nice package of how I imagined our, our future lives to be. What about the decision to put them in an English language school rather than uh, sending them to an Italian grade school? <laughs> well, at the time it was really important for us. We wanted to more or less be able to really understand what they were learning and to be able to be really active participants in their education. And when we went down that path, we had one child who was going to school. Then our second came and we said, well, we can't have one in the school and another one be in Italian school. So they both went to the international school. And then Viola came along, our third, and at that point, we just realized it wasn't sustainable anymore. We're not subsidized by an international company. We're not government employees. We're not rich. So all those three factors were against us to continue down that path of international school in Rome, which is very, very expensive. That's when green school came about, which was a lot less expensive than, than the school in Rome. But we knew that also wasn't sustainable in the long run. So when we came back, we thought, okay, it's time that they go to Italian school, one, because it's free, and two, because even though they were all born in Italy, they didn't really speak the language. And for us, it was really important that they spoke the language of the place that they're from. They went to school and they learned Italian very quick. <laughs> very, very quickly they learned. And they're bright, smart girls, and thankfully, there were a lot, a lot of tears at the beginning, a lot of meltdowns and everything but they're strong personally my husband and I both said we would never have been able to do it ourselves but they're very strong and I knew that they would make it work and they have the school kept costing more and more each year and then it got more expensive as they got higher up in the grades it actually seemed less dramatic to move to Bali <laughs> than it did to stay in Rome and throw them into an Italian public school in Rome. But the other thing about the decision to put Judy there was also a lot of it was cultural. So when she was really little, she didn't like confrontation and she was very well behaved, like maybe better than what might be considered average. She was really respectful and she was really a good listener. And these were all things that when we saw other Italian kids, we felt like we would just be throwing her you know, to a pack of wolves by, by putting her in Italian public school. And in a way, we've had that confirmed because we've seen the way it is for Viola in the Italian public school. And it's as much as, as the education has some academically positive aspects, it's kind of a free-for-all there. And, and Julia would have done really bad in that when she was little. She needed something really structured. She really 
she needed something very British and very you know proper, and and that worked really well for her. So the decision was also not so much about language; it was about the way the British school was structured. Have you found that they have changed at all since they've entered the Italian school system? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> How so? Uh, well, gestures and mannerisms and things like things like that are really are the most obvious because they're a bit they're a bit chameleon like, and I say that in a good way that. They lost their British accents, which they used to have after a few months in Bali from being around people who spoke differently. And now one of the things that makes them really good about learning Italian really quick is that same being able to take on accents and gestures and seeing the way other people speak and, and incorporating that into your own. And so, yeah, a lot of it is, is that. Um, as far as sort of their attitudes about stuff, I don't know. Maybe not. I think they have really strong characters. I think there's things about the Italian way of doing things that some of them they take with a grain of salt and that they're pretty good at adopting. And then there's others that they reject gracefully without making problems. They, they can just sort of deal with it. They're who they are. They're, they haven't really Except changed. Except when they come people. home. <laughs> when they come home, then they let it all out about the things that drive them crazy about school. What would you say is the biggest challenge that you have faced raising children in a foreign country? Quote, unquote, foreign country. I mean, by now it's your country, but... You know, not the country you're from. The hard thing is that I don't know what it's like to raise kids in the United States. The one thing I would have to say is that one of the decisions of having kids here as opposed to there is the whole daycare and all that kind of thing. We haven't lived around our families in a really long time, even when we were in the United States. So with the kind of jobs we would have had to keep in the United States, we would have had to have had daycare. So the kids would have been at daycare all day and we would have been working all day. And Whereas here in Italy, we were able to take the time or at least have one of us be home and one of us at work. We were always able to spend a lot more time with our kids. And they think that's the norm, you see. They don't realize that it's not really the norm of both parents being so accessible all the time and around all the time. That's not typical. So do you feel like, for example, a challenge that you might have noticed is you know, dealing with other parents or teachers who just have a completely different way of looking at things than you do. I mean, maybe more here in Orvieto than when you know they were at British school in Rome. I mean, I have a friend who's American, and you know she's married to an Italian. She's raising her kids here, and she feels like everyone is telling her how to raise her kid and how to feed it and how to dress it and how to clothe it. She's doing everything wrong, and she feels like their ideas are all old-fashioned and wives' tales. And Do you ever get any of that? Sure, sure but I'm sure I would have felt the same way about Americans. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we just, we're just, we don't, I mean, one of the things about moving here is the sense of belonging and the sense of not really feeling like you belong. And, and I think when you feel that way, the only way to not have it manifest really negative things is that you have to leave. Yeah, I, there's loads of stuff that Italians say and do that I, that I don't relate to them at all and that I feel completely, sometimes we feel like we're from another planet here. But it's exactly the same way I felt in the United States, too. Yeah. I felt like I was from another planet and I feel the same way. It's when I'm in America, I feel like I'm an Italian. Either place that I am, I feel like I'm an outsider. Yeah. It's kind of hard. So I've thought about that a lot, and I think what makes it feel better for people who don't feel like they belong to live somewhere foreign is that here it's justified. Here it makes sense. When I go around and I say my opinions and I speak with an accent and I do these things that are very un-Italian, and the response is, you're not really from here, are you? I'm not really from here. And there's no reason why I should have a sense of belonging or have a sense of, yeah, have a sense of feeling like, like I should be like them. When I go to the United States, it's different. Like if I go to where the town that I grew up in, right? And you know, I grew up in a town that pretty much if you eat cheese and drink wine, you're gay, right? If, you, if, you're not, if, you, don't, if you don't have a gun 
and drive a pickup truck, you're gay. So I go back there and I see people who were friends of mine who maybe I could still say are friends of mine and we don't relate at all. We have a completely different worldview. We have a completely different, I don't understand why. It's just then it feels like something, I don't know, like there's something either wrong with me or there's something wrong with them. And that feels bad. Whereas here, you've got an explanation. It's that, oh, it's because, yeah, I don't come from here. <laughs> it's because I'm American. And it's actually not because I'm American because I don't really share any of the ideas that many of my fellow Americans do. But at least here you have that, that way to, explain it and that makes it at least to me anyway feel a lot better how do you find your tribe of people you're moving around or you're not living in your own homeland who is your people where do you feel like you belong i think any people that are this is to steal from jane austen but that are clever and well informed are the best people to be around people that are open and interesting those are the kind of people that i want to be with and whether they're American, Italian, Dutch, <laughs> doesn't matter. <laughs> That's, those are the important qualities for me. We actually talk about this sometimes because, like maybe you heard when the girls were talking, is that they, they have this feeling like people here are too close-minded and it's a small town. And we try and tell them that actually people are like that everywhere and that it's just really difficult to find people that you feel like you share a lot of like people who are part of your tribe and that it doesn't really matter where you come from. Maybe they, they got this idea that, that in a bigger city, there's more of that when I'm kind of convinced that it's not where you are. You have to go out and you have to find these people. Luckily, I, I think these guys are my tribe. Like my kids and my family are, are my tribe and they're the ones that I have the most interesting conversations with and they're the ones that I'm most interested in. And so that works really well, well, at least for me anyway, I hope for them. But that means when we move around, I don't, I don't feel this this, uh, you know, I'm happy to live here even if I associate with nobody because I'm already around the people that I, that I want to be around. I agree. <laughs> well, we should leave it there. Yeah, That's sure. beautiful. This is the bittersweet <laughs> life. Oh, look, he's getting a hug from his daughter. That's so nice. This is the wonderful life. <laughs> this is. This is. Now I want to have kids. <laughs> but this is the bittersweet life. That's the name of the show. And I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Thank you both for agreeing to do this and for making us an amazing lunch also. I didn't know that was part of the deal. Join us again, and if you are ever in Rome and you want to stay in a really cute little hotel slash hostel, go to the Beehive. Or the Beehive. The Beehive. And you can also check out Cross Pollinate, which is their other company in which they uh, hook people up with vacation apartments. So that's another option. Okay. Thanks so much. Join us again. Bye. Okay. We welcome your questions and your feedback. Reach the show by emailing bittersweetlife at mail.com. That's bittersweetlife at mail.com.